Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgiev, class of 2022. Today, I'm excited to talk to class of 2008's Barrett Serrato, recruiting coordinator for Kent State Baseball. Barrett will share with us how his lifelong love of baseball led to an opportunity to play Division I baseball at Purdue, get drafted by the Texas Rangers, and now recruit and coach at the collegiate level. Joining us from the class of 2008 is Barrett Serrato. Uh, Barrett, tell us what you do. Um, I'm an assistant baseball coach and recruiting coordinator at Kent State University. Fantastic. So, Barrett, um, what... What initially drew you to baseball? Like, how did you fall in love with baseball? Oh, man, it's been uh, since I can remember. I think I always enjoyed it. Um, I think being in Chicago, you know, the Chicagoland area, I think you're really fortunate, you know, especially the time I was growing up to have Harry Carey and, um, you know, Chicago Cubs on when you get home from school. And, um, you know, you you get to watch, like I said, that you got the White Sox, um, you know, there. And then, you know, for me, we live two blocks away from, you know, the high school baseball field and, and my elementary school is right there next to it. So being able to see that and um, and then you get, you know, the College World Series and just something drew me to it since I can remember. And I've always, um, you know, enjoyed playing and being around the game. So what what position in baseball did you eventually settle into? What what, what was the one that you you actually became maybe most dominant with? Um, shortstop was the, was the main one for a long time, um, you know, through high school, college, and then eventually when I got into professional baseball, settled into more of a utility role, uh, playing everything except for pitcher and catcher. When did you get a sense that? I can keep doing this, right? For so so many high school students, it's like their last varsity game is the last time that they get to play baseball at that con- competitive level. When did you get a sense that wait a second, I I can keep on doing this? When did you know that that could that you could keep the dream going? Oh man, um, I, I would say sometime in high school. Um, I remember, you know, there's a, there's this scouting service now called Prep Baseball Report. It started. Um, pretty much my, my graduating class was kind of the, you know, this first or second group that really jumpstarted that service, but they, it, it's kind of similar to, uh, you know, a football combine. But, um, I remember coach Walters giving me a, uh, a form and asking, Hey, like, would you want to go to it? Um, you know, he's like, it might be something worth, worth checking into. It seems like a football combine, maybe you go. And, um, it was after, I think I had a, a pretty good sophomore season and, uh, you know, I went to this event and the next thing I know, you know, it started being um, I started being invited to a bunch of, du- you know, a bunch of other events with, you know, high school baseball players around the state um, of Illinois and, and it started doing well. And it was like, OK, maybe I've got a chance at doing this. And then, you know, about that sophomore year, college baseball letters started showing up at home and, you know, started really turning into maybe this might be cool to I think this could really happen. 
So why did you choose Purdue? For me, I think, you know, especially for my family, the academic side is really important. Um, just academically, it was, or you know, it's a really good institution. Um, and then baseball-wise, I think, you know, that was the driving force for me. Um, and it was a blue-collar type of, of baseball program. And I think for, you know, with a combination of um, athletics and academics, it, it's in order to be successful, you, you've really got to work hard, you know, uh, both academically. I think at that point, what I was told, it's one, it was one of the toughest institutions in the country to get an A in, in any course, no matter what you were studying. And then, um, you know, on the baseball side, when I was being recruited, there was no fluff. There was no real, um, you know, you, you, they weren't overselling. They just worked. They showed up. They were at a lot of baseball games. And um, basically what I was told was, hey, you've got an opportunity here from the get-go to, you know, to earn a spot and you're going to have to work at it. And, and, you know, it wasn't too far from home. I didn't have to go across the country. And, you know, I, I enjoyed the idea of, you know, being able to work and try and earn that. So um, wound it, you know, ended up choosing Purdue, which was, you know, for me, I think the best choice and ended up working out for me. When, when we hear the expression, a division one athlete, there's so many, as you said, there's an expectation of excellence that you have to bring to what you do to maintain your sharpness, to grow as an athlete and all that. What are the other things that people may not think about when you are a division one athlete in terms of like, how do you get to travel the standard by which you have to hold yourself accountable to, uh, and, uh, and, and, and all of that, how would you be describe the experience of being a D1 athlete? For me, I think, you know, the, the best way to explain it is, is you start really understanding there's a lot of eyes on you um, and everything you do from, you know, both academic and athletic, you know, you, you get your name put on a roster um, and people start paying attention. They start, you know, they start seeing your name, they start seeing your number, they know who you are. Um, you know, even though I, I was on a campus of, you know, 40,000 students, you know, being a baseball player, being a student athlete, you know, at an institution, you start to know, recognize the difference between athletes and, um, you know, and I guess regular students, but at the same time, you know, for me, I think the, the biggest thing was probably time management and, and organization as far as being able to handle a lot of different things. And, um, you know, I think there, there's a really high, high standard and a high expectation for how you conduct yourself. And, um, you know, whether it's academically, how you walk around campus, um, because professors know you're an athlete, you know, regular students know you're an athlete when you go into, you know, I live right across from McDonald's. When you go into McDonald's, they know you're an athlete and, and you never know who's going to send coach an email or you never know who's going to say something. So, um, you know, you learn that pretty quick when, when you show up. So there was a, a nice kind of institutional type of memory where you were able to kind of learn by those that were like the players in front of you, the sophomores, juniors and seniors, and then just the kind of, in, you know, the collective uh, community that kind of holds you to that uh, that standard. What 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 was like maybe your most successful time management tool to balance all of these things because you you have to train then you have games and you have practice and obviously you have to at some point hit the books for academics and then you you have to be social as well how what were the, like the more successful uh time management key that you would use as a student athlete i think it was punishment runs to be honest um <laughs> you know I, I for me it was really you know I think the biggest thing when, when we showed up to, as freshmen, our, our head coach gave us a, uh, 
Um, it was like a weekly schedule. It was like almost like a planner. Everybody has their planner nowadays, but it was hour. It was houred out, and um, it would almost be like a, a teacher's lesson, you know, lesson schedule or, or um, daily schedule. You got the different, you know, hours throughout the day, and um, basically, you know, our head coach was like, okay, from the time you wake up to wait to breakfast, um, you know, class, lunch. You know, if you're going to take a nap, put you're taking a nap in. If you're going to play video games, put play. I'm gonna play video games from this time to this time. And he just wanted you to map it out for the week. And we, we had study table hours that we had to get. We had to get eight hours a week, um, which is like a, you know, a study hall, but it was monitored. And uh, when are you getting your eight hours, um, you know, put practice in there. If you plan on going to hit or, or take extra ground balls, when are you going to get your extra work in? And basically you start, once you did that, you started really seeing a trend and okay, my week really is, um, I wouldn't say methodical, but it it's pretty mapped out. And, you know, you start getting a routine and that was the biggest thing I think for, you know, myself was learning how to get into a routine um, throughout each week, um, especially that first fall. What, so what did you end up studying? What was your major at Purdue? I majored in physical education. So what's the, so did you have to do like student teaching? What was the coursework like for you? Yeah. So it started off, you know, a lot of your, um, you know, your first two years on campus are, are kind of your basic classes. And, um, you know, and then you start, you know, Purdue was really interesting from a physical education standpoint, you know, every year I was in a, or every semester I was in a school teaching something, um, and at different grade levels. So, um, you know, it could be one semester I'm in a grade school teaching, you know, dance to another one you're teaching, you know, baseball, softball, uh, volleyball to another one you're, you know, you're working on in health and then you're going from the different high schools and, um, you know, so there was a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of work actually done in the school. So you're learning firsthand experience of being in the classroom, um, each semester, but then you had your different courses where, you know, you're learning skills, you're learning, um, you know, motor development, you're learning, um, basically transitions from, you know, age periods, um, you know, from grade school to middle school to high school. And, um, you know, it kind of transitioned, like I said, it kind of built up that way. And then eventually it led to my, uh, my student teaching in the fall of 2012. Where did you do your student teaching at? I did it at um, Central Catholic um, or what was it? Lafayette Central Catholic there um, right across the river from Purdue. You graduate uh, from Purdue uh, and you, you could teach, but then you had more opportunities. Uh, walk me through what happened after, uh, after college. Yeah. So um I ended up graduating in 2012. My last uh, baseball season was spring of 2012 at Purdue and ended up, you know, be, being fortunate to be drafted by the Texas Rangers um, in the June of 2012. And, um, you know, ended up before I, in between that summer student teaching and graduating, um, you know, I played my first professional season and spent a couple of years, um, you know, playing in the Texas Rangers organization. So what what's that like to be now really leveling up to you at one point you are now you know it's you know playing in the big 10 uh and uh that's obviously better than uh, dvc what you're playing with it you go <laughs> uh and now you're at big 10 now you're in the big leagues right so how how do you how can you describe the level of athleticism preparation how was it different from living from leaving d1 and now going into the big leagues what, what were some of the the differences between those two Oh man, everybody's just so much, uh, I don't know if it's talented, but everybody's just so much more consistent. Um, you know, hitters square up baseballs more, pitchers hit spots more, you know, pitchers, um, 
you know, stuff, fastball, curveball, changeup, you know, whatever it is, is better. Um, their location's better. Hitters, you know, whether you're playing third base, the hot corner becomes hotter. You know, if you're playing the outfield, gaps become smaller. Like it just, everything gets just a little bit better at, you know, each level you climb. And, um, you know, going from Purdue, or even high school to Purdue to uh, professional baseball, there's, there's a difference in the way you carry yourself. I, I think, you know, talented wise there's a or talent wise at the, at the college level, there's a lot of really talented um baseball players but you the idea of being a professional really um comes about once you kind of step over into the into the pro side what were some of your favorite memories uh when you're with the texas rangers oh man um shoot i i think the one that stands out to me is um you know growing up in, in chicago you know my dad's a big time white Sox fan and um, I actually, I actually got to be t- teammates with AJ Przinsky and, um, you know, childhood me really, really disliked him. Um, as a Chicago kid, I, it was one of my least favorite players growing up. And I, and actually Jake Ventures, who graduated in 2008 with me as well as one of my best friends. And, and I remember he's a White Sox fan. I remember texting him a picture of him and my dad and they're like, Hey, get his autographs. It's like, no, I cannot. And, and trying to ignore him. And, um, you know, it was awesome. He ended up being real. I don't know if he remembers me, he would remember me, but, um, that was a really cool moment for me to be able to, you know, kind of be in the same clubhouse with him. And, you know, eventually I got to meet Robin Ventura, which was, you know, a, like a, you know, being starstruck moment. Um, you know, that's a guy you idolize. And, and for me, I was a left-handed in, hitting infielder and he was the same. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, one of the best to ever do it. So those are pretty cool moments for myself. I was wondering if you can maybe describe the, uh, the life cycle of being drafted and then going to spring training and then uh, and then the whole process of uh, where you were in, in terms of drafting and and then uh, where did you play with the Rangers in terms of their uh, their system? Yeah, so um, you know I was fortunate enough to go through the draft process a couple times and and I think you learn over time and even now being a coach. Um, you really don't get the whole draft process. You think something's going to happen and never goes the way you anticipate or the way you think or what you're told. Um, you know, so by the time I, uh, you know, that 2012 draft um, happened, I, you know, I thought it, I would be drafted in the, uh, you know, in the fourth round. I had conversations and it, it, it's funny just how things happen. But, you know, once you get drafted or once I was drafted about three days later, I was, um, you know, on a plane headed out to Spokane, Washington. Um, and I was, you know, I played with Spokane that first summer, um, you know, out, out on the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, there's a mini camp and then you start playing and, it, you know, it's a different it's a different world because you're playing every single day. Um, you know, you're showing up and, um, you know, you're on your own. You're, you're you know, you're getting breakfast by yourself. You're you know, you're showing up to the clubhouse at noon every day for a seven o'clock game and you're not getting done till you know, 11 p.m., you know, sometimes midnight and then you know, you're doing it every single day, you know, and then every three to five days, you're getting on a bus and taking a, you know, anywhere five, five to eight hour road trip. And, um, you know, you're learning how to, you know, to really handle that and, you know, be in cities that you wouldn't have ever anticipated ever being or ever heard of. Um, you know, and then I spent that, so I've spent that first, you know, summer in Spokane, um, you know, state of, or I went back to Purdue to, to do my student teaching, um, train in the off season. And then, um, you know, spent some time in Arizona. Then I went out back out to spring training and surprise Arizona. That's where the, uh, the Rangers are located for spring training. Um, you know, got to, you know, experience a bunch of different things out there, experience that, that whole, 
you know, the whole spring training thing. I'd never, I'd never been to a spring training game before that. So got, you know, it was a cool experience for me. And then, um, you know, kind of stayed in there, got hurt a, a little bit. And, you know, I kind of battled that throughout my career, some injury stuff. And, um, you know, next thing I know, I wound up basically in, you know, double A in uh, Frisco, Texas. And, um, you know, so that was kind of where I ended was, was Frisco, Texas. That's, you know, I ended in double A. So for me, you know, it, it's just a different experience going, for, it was pretty cool going from, um, you know, being drafted to spring training to, you know, kind of climbing that a little bit. And, um, you know, it, it's just, it, it's something you always hear about and you think about, or you watch on TV and you don't really understand the process or, or really, um, get physically being there since I'd never been there. And it was, uh, you know, for me, it was kind of a whirlwind to be honest. And, and not only is a whirlwind, there's just such an incredible, uh, a, a type of grind where you really have to motivate yourself as you, you described so, uh, so brilliantly there about, you're on your own, you're isolated, you have to do all the motivation and, and, you know, you're separated from friends and family. So you must've had so much time to be in your own thoughts, traveling as much as you did. I was wondering if you could maybe describe like what were, uh, you must've had so much uh, kind of deep thoughts and epiphanies and breakthroughs, you know, traveling as much as you did. Do you remember what some of those were? Oh man, I, I would say there's more mental breakdowns than epiphanies, to be honest, you know, you're, <laughs> cause there is a lot of deep thought you're on it. Like I said, you're on a bus yeah. by yourself. You're, you know, you're going over three in a night, you know, you're getting told <laughs> you're getting, you know, yelled at from the stands, you know, like you never have, you're playing in front of, you know, anywhere from yeah. 10 to 15,000 people. Um, you know, you're facing players that, you know, you thought you were good. And the next thing you know, you're taking another step and, um, you know, every, every level you go humbles you at some point. And, um, you know, so you, you've got to battle through those moments, but I think, you know, for me, I, I think I was surrounded by really good people and, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to have some really good coaches throughout my career and, um, you know, and resources to be able to talk and, you know, kind of get my, keep my mind right. And, uh, you know, family has been awesome. And, um, you know, so there, like I said, as much as, you know, maybe you have some epiphanies, you know, it's more battle and, you know, especially on the baseball side, handling failure and being able to, I guess, mentally withstand that self when you're by yourself for so long. You stepped away from the game. And then when did you know that you wanted to pursue uh, being a coach? How did you make that transition? Well, I, for me, um, you know, as I was deciding to, you know, finish playing, yeah, I was going back and forth and, you know, I was hurt a little bit and, and I was wondering if I wanted to kind of keep battling through some of the pain and, and some of that stuff. But, um, you know, my, the, my boss here at Kent state, um, was the assistant coach and hitting coach at Purdue for three of my four years there. And, um, he had gotten the head job at Kent state here in 2000, the fall of 2013. So 14 was his first season. Um, and I was playing professionally that year. And, um, you know, I, I was just paying attention because he's been a good mentor to me and, and a good friend. And so, you know, just paying attention, following along. And, um, you know, as the season kept going and, you know, we would talk throughout the season as well with, you know, with some of the things I was going through. But, um, you know, he ended up kind of flipping the idea that, hey, this either may be a position and open up here. Um, would you be interested in, in possibly getting into coaching? And I didn't know what I wanted to do because I, to be honest, I'd played baseball since I was five years old. So I, I didn't really know anything else. And, um, you know, I had to really think about it because I had a teaching degree and I, you know, I was debating on, you know, going and pursuing that, or, you know, there's a couple other opportunities and, um, eventually I was offered the, you know, my first opportunity here. And, um, 
as a volunteer assistant coach. And, it, you know, up until basically the day I decided to go, I was kind of going back and forth and almost didn't do it. And, um, you know, I got a good push from my parents and, you know, lo and behold, I'm, you know, I'm still coaching. So you, you coach and then you're also, you, you are on the recruiting side of this. So uh, could you describe like, what's a, I guess the the season probably never ends as a recruiter, right? So you no. probably, probably so I, I had one of my initial questions like, what's a typical day? But then you know what it, it, the, that probably depends depending on what type what type time of year it is where that that is. So you have a typical day, and then you have to have some type of travel. I, I would imagine involved with this yep. as well. Um, what's so maybe walk me through the seasonality of what it means to be a, a recruiting uh, for Kent State? Yeah. What's, so what's the what's the year like? So basically, there's a couple different seasons. Seasons is the way I break up my year. Um, and basically, let's start with um, let's start with January. So basically, January, um, you know, in this spring, we're we're in the competition, you know, Kent State baseball phase. So for me, as a uh, you know, as a recruiting coordinator at that point, um, we're also in a dead period, NCAA dead period, which means um, I'm not allowed to go out and recruit. And for me, I'm able to talk with. Uh, you know, prospective student athletes um, and have conversations, but I'm not allowed to go out and evaluate. So at that point, it's just a lot of phone calls. Um, You know, we'll have some camps on campus. I'm able, you know, to evaluate there, but it's just a lot of phone conversations and preparation for the spring season here at Kent State. And then um, once the spring season's done, we go into our main recruiting season, um, which is the summer. And, And we'll do a little bit, you know, starting March 1st is when we can start getting back into the contact period and being able to go evaluate. But Depending on each high school schedule, um, we're playing. It can be hit and miss. But summertime, basically, um, you know, up until that last weekend in January or that first week in August, um, I'll be on the road a lot. I would say probably four to five days a week. Um, I'll be recruiting, you know, from the end of our season till that August date. So there's a lot of time away from home. And then um, you get about a month's break in August. And then, you know, about the end of August, starting in September, um, there's about a four week period where the recruiting uh, fall recruiting phase starts. And for us, that's, you know, our our guys are coming back to campus. So there's a a time management period there where you're recruiting and evaluating. And, um, you know, even that point, you know, between the end of summer and and that point where you have that, um, you know, that quiet period or dead period where you're um, in the fall, you start to have a little bit more on campus visits and that type of thing. And um, and then we go into the winter time, which is kind of your downtime because it becomes dead. And, um, you know, right after Thanksgiving, our guys are away and, um, you know, you can't really go out and do too much. So then that becomes my, you know, my main family time. How, what's the range of travel that you get to go? Cause I mean, I mean, you can't oh, um, go anywhere. So I imagine there's gotta be a very tricky budgeting versus, return on investment in terms of if I traveled this far and, and all that, like, how do you, how do you uh, calculate the appropriate uh, expenditure to say like, we're going to go to, cause if you're in Ohio, but how far can you go to Kansas? Can you go to Florida? Like what's the range that you can um, conceivably travel to with uh, what, with what your recruiting budget is? Um, for me, we're really fortunate to hear um, you get, I get a lot of leeway and a lot of freedom to go wherever I need to go. But um, you know, at last, I would say for me, I went to Indianapolis, which is about a five hour drive from Kent State and, you know, the Cleveland area of Ohio. Um, it's about a five hour drive each way. Uh, last year, I was, I, or I went to Indianapolis about five or six times last year. I went um, to Georgia once. 
um, was Kenosha, Wisconsin at one point. Um, for me, it's just dependent on, um, you know, if there's a need to see a specific person, um, certain baseball tournaments, as far as, um, you know, summertime or fall, will have a, um, a slew of teams. And it just depends on which teams are going to be where, um, you know, I guess if you can get the best bang for your buck. And now I'm not the only one that goes on recruits. There's, um, you know, our head coach and our pitching coach go out as well. There's, so there's three of us that are capable. Um, so for me, it's not necessarily always going out, but it's organizing when when and where to go as well and, and put, you know, I guess each guy or each one of us in the best position to evaluate the right people, um, you know, is my main job. But um, travel for me is just dependent on who I need to see and when and, um, you know, basically where the best bang for buck, you know, as far as tournament and, and being able to evaluate, you know, more of the guys that are on our radar than less. So when you meet with a, a prospective uh, player for your team, they're going to be on your radar because of certain statistical um, dominance and all that. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's like that's first kind of getting through the door here. And then what are the things that you listen for when you're speaking with the student athlete that are those intangibles that you're like, yeah, this is this is going to be a good fit. Like, how, what are the, some of the tells that like this? They probably have what it takes to be a good teammate or have it in them to be humble enough that they have to grind. And kind of like what your experience was at Purdue, that you knew that you had to continue to kind of see yourself as this ongoing project and get better for yourself and your team. What are the things that you are, are, are listening for in those intangible moments? Yeah, I think for, you know, no matter what, if whether what company you're in or, or organization or whatever it is, there's a certain, um, I guess, identity or personality you want the makeup of, you know, your organization to be. And, um, you know, no matter what it is, you're always going to be successful with people. So for us, you know, the the skill evaluation is the easy side. Being able to see a guy throw, throws hard, runs fast, or hits the ball far, that stuff's the easy thing. Um you know, it comes down to, and it's, it's funny because, you know, the way college baseball recruiting is getting, it's getting younger and younger. And um, right now we're really evaluating a lot of sophomore age, you know, student athletes, um, which is difficult because I'm used to talking to college age student athletes. And so it's really, really about trying to figure out personality and um, relatability. And I think, um, you know, it's hard to say, okay, this kid is tough or this kid is, um, you know, blue collar, cause you know, when you're a 14, 15 year old kid, I don't know that you know what that means. Um, oh, yeah, you know, that's a good point. <laughs> wow, so, what a challenge. Wow. So it gets, it gets a little bit difficult in, in, in that regard, but you, you know, you try to, you try to incorporate everybody. You try to incorporate their high school coaches, their summer coaches, mom and dad, um, you know, anybody else, if there's other people, you know, scouts or, um, other people in the area or in summer organizations or, um, you know, facilities that you may know, or, um, you know, opposing coaches, you know, in the area that you may know, you, you try to really go do your digging and find out about the person, um, you know, the work ethic, you know, and um, there's a certain it factor to people. I think when it comes to, to baseball, maybe anything, there's a certain it factor. And there's, you know, I, for me, I guess I just try to figure out if these guys have an it factor to them. Um and, and like I said, when it comes to the younger kids, it's really hard to tell. But, um, you know, I guess the biggest thing is being able to talk to them. Yeah, for me, I really like to be able to have conversations with guys. You know, as you go, um, 
into development, we're really big on development here. Um, you want to help people get better. You got to be able to have conversations. You got to be able to relate. You got to be able to, um, you know, you got to be able to enjoy being around them. So, you know, there could be guys that are really talented that I just personally don't like talking to that, you know, may not come here. And it could be something as simple as that. I think each person is different. Each kid is different. Um, so it's really trying to evaluate each thing on an individual basis. You had mentioned earlier in the interview that when you first were beginning the uh, the journey to play at Purdue, that there were kind of like different types of platforms that help create your own hype videos. Like this is your highlight reel and all that. Have Has that been helpful or a hindrance in terms of your recruitment and being able to kind of see more uh, as a potential recruiter with so much of social media being able to like show your best work uh, I, I would imagine it, it creates more to sift through but you know people can edit things that can decontextualize as well I was wondering if that if there's if that's uh, that the explosion of such kind of hype um, platforms are, are a benefit to you Yes, I think it's a double-edged sword. Um, uh, you know, for us, you know, with those recruiting platforms, basically, I I can go type in every you know every kid that comes across our desk. You just go Google their name, and and their profile will show up on one of the main two, and then and then you go from there. And and I think it's a good thing and a bad thing because again, this is this recruiting process for us is starting so early that you know at, some guys are doing videos at 12, 13 years old, and you know for me trying to evaluate a 12 or 13 year old at the college level is really hard to do. So it could be a good, you know, it could be a huge turnoff at some point. Um, and, and I think for me, I, I really try to stay off of the social media stuff with guys. I'll see it here and there. Um, but the biggest thing is, you know, I guess what they send me, I try to have each guy send me stuff individually so you can track the progression. You can track um, mm. the daily, I guess the daily work that they do. Um, it, I think it's a lot more helpful, a lot more beneficial. Um, I and mean, it gets you, more personable with them. And I think you get a better viewpoint uh, from an evaluation standpoint when you see that versus just the, the main highlight type, that's all them doing well, or, um, you know, the, they got the fluffy music to it or whatever it is. Um, you know, I think that really helps because then you start really getting, Oh, well, I went over four today. These are my swings. And you don't just get the six out of six hits, which um, like I said, can be a big, you know, you, it can steer you in the wrong direction if, if you get all positive stuff. That's a really good point, which is that you want to see that they were reflective on refining their technique as opposed to just showing you what they it was only like the idea that they are humble enough to keep on working at what their imperfections are to get better. I, I that's that's a really interesting point. Just kind of like a kind of a, a broader philosophical question about baseball and trends and all of that. Years ago, uh, there was a very famous movie. It was Moneyball, and they're kind mm -hmm. of talking about like sabermetrics and, and all of those things. And I was wondering, like, you know, there was such an intense focus on data to inform decision making on talents and the evaluation of strategy within game uh, and, and various different managerial tactics uh, and all that. It, it just because I'm, I'm an outsider, I'm only kind of you know basing this on like just my observation of sports at large. Would you say that there's still is that where the concentration still is on being more data driven on decisions or has it evolved into something else as you see it as a as a coach at the college level? Um, at the college level is a kind of a combination of all of it. Um, you know, there's a lot more, um, uh, technology out there that tracks data and information. And, um, a lot of 
you know, a lot of the reports you get or a lot of the information kids send over first in their first primary email, they send you that, hey, coach, I'm interested. They send you all the data, their um, exit velocity. So how hard they're hitting the ball, how fast, the, you know, now we can measure spin rates of how fast the ball is spinning when you throw it or even when you hit it, um, the angles in which you hit the ball, how far you're hitting baseballs. Um, you know, that they can track the, uh, you know, the amount of movement guys have on, on you know, the baseballs. And, um, you know, for me personally, from a uh, uh, from a college evaluation standpoint, as far as um, prospective student athletes, I, I don't take a lot of that with a grain of salt. I think the biggest things I take um, from an analytical or from an evaluation standpoint, which from a number standpoint is um, how fast do they run? Um, and then I'll take, you know, arm, you know, pitching wise velocities, um, spin rates, that's that, that type of stuff, more on the pitching side. But uh, I think there's more of an intangible side um, to college baseball that you have to incorporate. Uh, but it's tough because everything is based off the, you know, major league baseball landscape. And, um, you know, now you go watch a, a game on TV and, you know, I was watching the Yankees Red Sox last night and, um, every ball they hit, they're telling you how hard the exit velocity is. They're, you know, they're showing the stat cast and, and balls that are being measured. And, um, you know, so the game has evolved, you know, from a, even from a scouting standpoint, a draft standpoint, because we, you know, we deal with um, guys who, who've got a chance to be drafted. And, and, you know, I think from an evaluation standpoint, you, you stay more to the intangible side. When you, when you have them here, you stay with the intangibles, you teach the game, but you also um, you incorporate that information, that data, you track it. Um, and I'm still learning. I really am. But, um, you know, when a scout asks certain questions, you're able to then, you know, answer and, and, um, you know, give them the information they need to, um, because there's, you're dealing with that landscape as well. You, you mentioned that you were watching uh, a game last night. Do you, can you watch a game as a fan or are you always coach? Uh, I mean, is there, can you kind of separate both of those things when you're watching a game? Cause uh, I, I think about it myself as an English teacher, I, I can be insufferable with my students. If we're reading a passage or watching a movie, I'm like, Oh, look what the director's doing here. Um, but when I'm at home, I might, I might not do that. Right. So I, I might not do it as, <laughs> as, as consciously with that. Uh, do, do you, do you, are there two different ways in which you can enjoy the game as coach, but then also just as a fan? Yeah. So I, I try to, I didn't watch baseball for a while, um, to be honest, but now, um, you know, like I said, I was fortunate enough to have a, you know, to be a part of this game to a certain point, but a lot of, a lot of guys, a lot of teammates that I've had and a lot of friends I have are in the big league. So, um, I, I guess I watch watching more as a friend and, and a fan. So I, you know, I can't say I root for any team right now, but you know, the Boston, the guy who caught for the Boston Red Sox was a college teammate of mine. And, um, you know, so we were rooting for the Red Sox and, and rooting for him last night. And, um, it's more from that standpoint. I think it's cool, you know, especially, um, you know, being able to sit down with the family and, and watch those types of games. And then, um, you know, if there's certain moments in the game, it's kind of cool, you know, being able to watch the game and then eventually on social media that play or, or certain aspects of the game, which you want your guys to, you know, to learn or, you know, even on like we did, we had a weekend series um, against Bowling Green this past weekend. There are certain things that come up and it's funny every day that that situation is going to come up in the major leagues at some point, you know, there's, 15, 16 games a day. And, um, you know, essentially one of those, one of those plays is going to end up on Twitter or social media. So then, you know, you can go scroll through and find that play that you just saw and then send it to your guys as teaching moments as well. So it's kind of a combination, but, uh, you try, I guess, try to watch it more as a, you know, a friend or fan of that to, to start. 
I like that. I, 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 that you know that you can be a fan, but then you're like, what? I'm not going to let that opportunity get by me where I can be the teacher to my 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 team and show them proper technique or anticipation or whatever it is that the skill set that you you want them to hone. I, I like that. So, Barrett, what do you think? Uh, where do you see yourself maybe in five, ten years? Would you uh, do you want to stay in college? I mean, would you think you'd make a maybe a lateral move into maybe a front office of a actual major league team? Like what or uh, where do you where do you kind of want to see yourself in five, ten, five, ten years? Oh, man. Um, you know, I think at some point I'd like to eventually be a college head coach. Um, I think. I guess if there was an end goal, that, that would be the, you know, the goal, but I, I don't think too much um, on it. I, I guess the biggest thing is, you know, kind of being where your feet are and taking care of the guys, um, you know, that are here with you right now and uh, kind of seeing where it goes. I think if, you know, if the opportunity arises at the right place, you know, being a head coach would be something I, I would um, be really interested in. And, and, you know, I've thought about the pro side a little bit. My wife asked me, um, you know, she didn't really know me when I played, and, you know, so kind of has asked me before about the pro side as far as coaching. And, and for me, I think being away from home for six months out of the year, um, I travel a lot now, but um, at least I get to come home most nights. Um, you know, I don't think I would I want to pursue the pro side. You know, something could change. But as of right now, I don't think that would be a, um, a thing in my family's best interest. So I think I'd probably a college head coach would be the um, be the main goal, I guess. Uh, it's that's good. So. Barrett, this has been great, uh, and uh, you've been so generous with your time today in the season, uh, where you guys are at, and all that that you gave me uh, part of your afternoon for this. And I always like to end the interview with tips for success for current Wildcats. What would you tell them? Oh man, um, shoot! I would say just keep plugging away. I think there's a lot of failure, you know, especially. You know, I've been fortunate, like I said, to be a part of this game for a long time. And, and this game teaches you that there's you're going to fail a lot. And, you know, I think any of us that go through the quote unquote real world, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, job, job interviews, you know, going to college. Um, you know, there's a lot of new experiences. Every day is a new experience. And, uh, you know, every I guess every chapter, whether, you know, college, post-college, whatever it is, there's there's going to be new journeys. There's going to be new chapters. I think there's going to be doors that close. There's going to be disappointments um, at the end of the day. I think, um, you know, you just got to keep, you know, keep your nose to the grindstone and, and keep plugging away. Um, you know, like I said, I, I'm a person that's failed a lot, um, you know, especially in the career I've chosen. And, and, uh, you know, but I'm fortunate to be able to go through. And I think for, you know, every door that closes or every failure that you have, I think, um, you know, a new experience or a new opportunity is going to arise that you may enjoy much more. So um, that'd be my biggest advice. Uh, Barrett, thank you so much. This has been so fascinating to learn uh, about this very unique career. And I really appreciate your time today. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Help spread the word about We Go Places podcast by sharing this episode with one other wildcat. As always, find past and future episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts or any other platform. Just search We Go Vox. That's We Go V-O-X. You can also stay current by following us on Facebook at We Go Places Podcast or on Twitter at We Go Places. We Go Places.